Well, guess who has gone and gotten themselves COVID? A certain Imogen Wells. And as she said herself, it's very 2020 of her. But to keep me company until she's back on her feet, I'm happy to introduce you to producer Aaron. Kia ora, Aaron. Hello. I'm very happy to be here. My first day, I didn't quite think I'd be in the hot seat. <laughs> Aaron, I have an update on Fiona, formerly Britain's loneliest sheep. Now, did you catch yesterday's episode about Fiona? I did catch this episode. And I must say, I was uh, doing my hair this morning. I was brushing my teeth and I, I wasn't quite expecting to get so uh, teary-eyed. Okay. Well, just to recap for anyone who didn't make it to the end of yesterday's episode, we are talking about Fiona, who was rescued from the bottom of a Scottish cliff where she'd been trapped for two years by herself. Now, the plan from the farms that rescued her, as I said yesterday, was to rehome her at a lovely farm park where she could have all the pets, all the cuddles, all the love that she could ever want for the end of her sheepy days. But get this, she's been forced into hiding because an animal rights group is protesting outside that farm park, demanding they free Fiona, saying she would be exploited for money and become a spectacle if she was to stay there. So for his part, the farm park's owner, however, says that they had planned to put Fiona in a single pen, introducing her to the other animals very slowly with some veterinary supervision, but now that's been put on hold and Fiona has been taken to a secret location. Jeez, what a bad turn of events. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> Welcome. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is what's worth talking about today. What's happening now with plans to fix our woeful water networks and how are we going to pay for it? We speak to the designer behind e New Zealand's new crew uniforms. Everyone loves a good true crime podcast, but might some of them not be that good for a just outcome? It's official. Smiling makes you more attractive. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. We all know it's crucial to life, but water's actually been causing enormous problems for New Zealand recently. Too much water caused the devastation of the Auckland floods, Cyclone Gabrielle earlier this year. Three waters, of course, a political hot potato and a focus for division in the run-up to the election. And then, of course, drinking water, not always as safe as we would expect it to be. So, is there a solution on the cards? Gillian Blythe, she's the Chief Executive of Water New Zealand, which represents the water industry, and joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. New Zealand's water is not in a great shape, is it? I mean, we've got a boil water notice in place in a part of Southland due to E. coli, that cryptosporidium outbreak in Queenstown causing huge difficulty, leaks wasting our water, the sinkhole in Parnell in Auckland, waste being pumped into the harbour, flooding. How bad are things? We do have a significant infrastructure deficit. In practice, it's been decades in the making. We need to start to fix it and to put real funds into solving these problems. Councils are supposed to look after the water networks, drinking water, waste, stormwater. Wellington Water now talking about a billion dollars a year to get on top of repairs. What is it going to cost to fix everything? The Water Industry Commission for Scotland did a number of pieces of work for the government and their figures were suggesting that between 125 and 185 billion would be required over 30 years. There's a couple of things to think about there though. That was a couple of years ago, so we've probably had a bit of inflation since then, so that would be a higher figure. But also that those figures did not include climate change. So what we might need to manage in terms of adaptation. And if you think about those floods, some of the issues that we were dealing with there you know, I would suggest were not to do with normal climate. They were to probably because we've had climate change and the impacts of a warming climate. So realistically, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. We are. National, of course, campaigned on scrapping three waters. 
What's the plan now? I mean, are you expecting all these water laws to be scrapped and then we start again back to square one? I think the important piece that everybody is appreciating is that the status quo is not an option. So we need to change. The bit that we need to think about is how can we make sure that we've got enough funding to deal with that hundreds of billions of dollars that is required and that we've got a way of being able to ensure that that we've got enough capacity and enough capability within the system to be able to address it. So that means whether it's in case of people who are laying the pipes, fixing the leaks, or whether it's at the treatment plants, or whether it's across the entire supply chain, that we've got enough people that are focused on it. And the critical piece we need to remember is that uncertainty causes delays because we've got you know, a conversation about what's the right model going forward. That causes uncertainty in terms of, do I continue doing what I'm doing or focusing my attention of my consultancy business on projects that are happening over, offshore because they are actually funded and they're going to happen. At the moment, we're in political limbo land, not just because of the kind of formation of the government, but with the new government and whatever that looks like. In the meantime, particularly with the promises uh, of, of, of National and Act and, and so forth to, to scrap Three Waters, is everything just going to get worse and worse while we don't do anything? If nothing happens, yes, things will get worse because we need to be able to invest. So the messages that I'm getting is that the councils who thought that they were going to be joining another set of councils to create one of those water service entities are now thinking that they need to pull back on what they're spending on water in terms of the long-term plan. So what they're proposing to be spending will be less than it has been for the last couple of years. We absolutely need to keep going. We need to have strong regulators and we need to have strong enforcement of those regulations. Is there something you want to see specifically from, from the next government that you kind of go from that governance standpoint or from that governing standpoint, this is what we'd like to see alongside those other things? One of the things that Water New Zealand has been talking about is a minister for water. If you look at the regulatory arrangements for water, they are spread across Department of Internal Affairs, MB, across um, Ministry for the Environment, Ministry of Health. And so all of those different agencies mean that you have the potential for disconnects. And I think it would be really a, a good step forward as if we had a minister for water that was able to bring those pieces together. I'm not saying it needs to be a ministry. I'm just saying we need a minister. We've got a minister of energy, so we ought to have a minister for water. Because as you said at the beginning, you know, water is essential for life. You're keen to go, let's have a minister for water. We don't need a ministry. We don't need kind of all that bureaucracy, if you like. But we want a minister of water to be an advocate around, say, the cabinet table uh, to, to tell the prime minister, these are the issues that are happening on the ground, and this is the money we need. Yes. Gillian Blythe, Chief Executive of Water New Zealand, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now, Emma gave me quite a hard time last week when I brought up Christmas on the 1st of November, but scientists say putting your Christmas tree up in November makes you happier. And look, I haven't actually gone that far and done that, but I now feel completely justified bringing it up two months early, and I'm going to ask you to be a bit vulnerable with us and admit Will you be putting your tree up this month? Will you be putting it up in November? We'll pop a poll on our Instagram. Feel free to slide into the DMs with any early Christmas cheer. Just search Newsable NZ. The fashion runway and the airport runway have combined into one well-heeled, well-dressed news story with Air New Zealand releasing the name of the designer for their next crew uniforms. Amelia Wickstead is a Kiwi based in London whose clients include the Princess of Wales, Jacinda Ardern and even Ivanka Trump and she joins us now. Amelia, thanks so much for coming on for a chat. Congratulations. How are you feeling? 
Thank you very much. I'm absolutely thrilled. Very, very excited. I think anyone, Amelia, who has lived away from New Zealand, because I know you're based in London at the moment, when you hop on in New Zealand, when you're coming home or when you're going anywhere, really, you immediately kind of feel closer to home because you hear the accents and you see the uniform and it's got kind of familiar patterns. Is that the same for you? A hundred and fifty percent. I feel very emotional whenever I get on a, on, on, on the aeroplane. Um, when you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're already at home, you're already with your people. And I always say when you walk through, well, for me, I'm from Auckland. So when I walk through the Auckland airport and you sort of, I don't know, just all of your nostalgia comes back. It's, it's, it's very emotive um, and very special. We're not actually going to see these designs for a little while yet, but what can you tell us about them? No, you're not going to see them for a little while. You'll see them, you'll see them some wearer trials in around uh, a year's time, which is exciting. But what to expect without saying too much is um, you can expect to see great tailoring, quintessential sort of Amelia Wickstead cuts. And I can't wait to sort of collaborate with uh, with Air New Zealand on that and create beautiful uniforms. Um, you'll see vibrant colour. You'll see extremely meaningful uh, print designs coming to life. Again, I can't say too much about that, but meaningful would be a key word. Also, uh, where there are large elements of um, you know storytelling elements, um, there's a lot of storytelling in the uniforms, small details which have very large meanings and little quirks. Um, and I really believe that the Air New Zealand uniform, when it comes to life, that that's, that's what you're going to feel and what you're going to see. Given we won't see these for a while, what kind of goes on behind the scenes between now and when we actually get to see the uniforms? A lot of work. <laughs> and um, and a lot of things that we will announce along the way in terms of, you know, I think when we're designing um, the print design or there are different elements of the of the uniform coming to life, there'll be other little announcements along the way, which I think will be really exciting for everyone. Amelia Wickstead, the name behind the next uh, crew uniforms at Air New Zealand. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello, everyone. Each week, we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round, and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential, even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. Good news for those looking to pimp their dating profile. Science has found out how to make yourself more attractive to strangers. Stay tuned to find out. And while you're waiting, why not chuck us a like and follow on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. So clearly we think podcasts are a good, even a great thing, but can they have negative impacts? Well, Dr Colin Bjork from Massey University, he's secured funding to research just that and he's going to explore whether true crime podcasts in particular encourage us to make judgments and how they influence public opinion. And Dr Bjork joins us now. Why podcasts? What pulled you into this area? Well, podcasting is a really powerful, uh, relatively new media form. And I think true crime podcasting in particular uh, is is one that brings key social issues straight to the fore of the conversations that get discussed and debated in true crime podcasts. And so for me, this is an exciting 
medium to study uh, as as an evolution of of radio and uh, other digital media, but it's also specifically true crime. Uh, I feel like gives us a lens into uh, the the workings of society and what we find our uh, our values are really in a way. How much of an impact do you think podcasts can have on, on people and I guess society as a whole? So podcasting is is a kind of storytelling, right? And it's also a kind of news media. And we know, I mean, you work in the media, uh, that the, the stories that we tell over and over and over in the in the news or and the stories that we tell over and over in creative writing, right? In our novels and our poetry and our plays, these absolutely sh- reflect our world and also shape and impact our world. So this is what my, my research is looking into is what kinds of stories are we telling over and over and over about criminals, um, about what justice is, and are there uh, other ways of telling stories about uh, criminality and justice in our in our world? Do you feel like podcasts can, I guess, just reinforce existing stereotypes? Yes, some of them can. I think this is the striking thing I've found in, in the early uh, days of the research that I've done into true crime podcasting is that uh, that some of them are reinforcing existing stereotypes. For example, right, like uh, New Zealand's uh, longest running uh, TV crime, right? The uh, Police 107 was finally taken off of the air this year. For a lot of the pushback around that was because of its uh, reinforcing unjust stereotypes. And so I think in podcasting, you sometimes see that as well, right? You see, for example, example, true crime has a lot of dead women, stories about uh, grisly murders of women, often women of color, and then this kind of like psychologizing and lionizing this like clever mastermind uh, guy, often a man, um, uh, who pulled off a series of murders, right? So what I'm saying is that these kinds of podcasts uh, can uh, reinforce uh, kind of sexist or racist stereotypes sometimes. But there are also podcasts that, that push back on that too. You mentioned Police 107 there. Do you see these elements present in the New Zealand podcast environment or is it more a feature of podcasts we see overseas? I would say right now in the early days that the podcasts reflect the cultures that they emerge out of, which is to say uh, in the American podcast that I'm looking at, you will see more of the kind of uh, political divisions, the racial tensions reflected in the true crime podcasting in the States. Um, in New Zealand, you see a different set of tensions. Why do you think people get behind true crime so much and, and give their ears to it? My sense from studying the genre of true crime is that people really are drawn to it because it combines two of the most essential things in our kind of existence, storytelling and our values, right? These are stories that are woven together about what good and bad is, what right and wrong is, what is the extent of justice, and how should we treat the guilty and the innocent. Thanks so much for joining us. That's Dr. Colin Bjork from Massey University. Thank you, Aaron. All right, Aaron, be honest with me. Do you have a go-to selfie face? I don't think so, but I feel like friends and, and family, my partner probably would have would have a view on that. I tend to just have like a big grin, which over the years has become less of a grin when you start to realise the amount of wrinkles and creases you can have in your face <laughs> when you're about 80. 
<laughs> Whatever. I mean, to be fair, I think I think you're right. My friends are the ones that point out uh, like what they call my mirror face every time a camera comes out. Um, my mouth starts doing it. I'm kind of powerless to stop it. I don't even realise it's happening. But scientists, or science rather, may have finally given me the push to kind of fight that part because it turns out being more like you with your big old smile, smiling in photos makes us more attractive to strangers. There we go. Forget the wrinkles. Forget the creases. The science shows grinning is, is on the table. I mean... That would be a way to make your, your Tinder profile stand out. Just a big grin. Big time, big time. I'm so glad that they're focused on this. Clearly all the science questions about chemistry, physics, they're all over. <laughs> we can focus on how to make ourselves hotter on Tinder and hotter on Hinge. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about this. So these researchers from the University of Vienna recruited over 100 volunteers and presented them with pictures of people who had either a neutral expression or maybe they were slightly smiling. And they were asked to rate the faces for attractiveness and they gave higher scores to people who were smiling. Asked how they judged whether the photos were more attractive, more than a quarter of the study volunteers mentioned facial expression and how friendly someone looked, determined how much chemistry they felt for them. So there you go. If you smile, people will like you more. Keep it natural. Yeah, exactly. Do away with those Instagram filters that take away the wrinkles that you're so worried about, Aaron. Just give it a big old toothy grab. <laughs> Maybe oh, we could get a smiling filter for the people like me that are just stuck with a pout. That's newsable for today. I'm Jess McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Diamond. We'll catch you tomorrow. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.